Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, this word in your ear is brought to you by NordVPN. And uh, once again, VPN, Mark, stands for... It stands for Virtual Private Network. You speak it like a native I now. I do, I know, I'm um, good. And uh, you could probably even explain that it's a way to, to keep your data safe on the internet. Uh, particularly whenever you're logging in, either from home or, or at home or abroad, in in an unusual place like an internet cafe or, or not in your normal uh, non normal setup, A VPN protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal your identity. And so those are those are the very sound sober reasons why NordVPN is a good idea, but they're also fun reasons. It enables you to access the internet via servers in many, many different countries. So you can get up in the morning and decide, where do I want to be today? Do I want to be in Sweden and South Korea, in the United States, and wherever? And this means you can often sidestep the traditional region restrictions, uh, which means you can only watch certain movies and certain TV programs in certain in certain countries, so you can probably get round that in many cases, and uh, and have lots of interesting listening and viewing experiences that you wouldn't be able to do if you were just tethered purely to the UK. And so I've been increasing. What have you been watching? I've been in inc- all sorts of things. Uh, I, I tell you what, it strikes struck me. It strikes struck me. It struck me. I tell you what struck me recently. There's so many, so many. Kind of crime dramas, aren't they? Aren't they? On, on stream, stream crime. Dramas. Yeah, there, is, there are just a million and one uh, of them nowadays. And um, what I've discovered about them, the thing they all have in common is they all start really strongly, because that's where they spend all the money is in the first two or three episodes. You know, because that's when you get all the spectacle. That's when you get all the whiz bangs, and then. When it gets towards later in the series, they kind of they don't really know. Here's the problem: they can't finish them as well as they start them. No, uh, that seems that to me the case because they don't know that they're going to get 
another series. Well, that's Breaking Bad's ago. a really good case, I think, because Breaking yeah. Bad five series, and at the end of virtually every one, there's this kind of lurching cliffhanger where they kind of they don't know if they've got the funding to come back, but they have to leave some proposition uh, uh, open to be resolved. But Breaking Bad does end fantastic. Oh well, that's good. You get to the end. I've never oh, seen. Oh my! I've Lord. never seen Breaking Bad, so that's a good thing. If it finishes, Walter rigs up the machine gun. I mean, don't tell. Oh, no, well, don't I... spoil it for me no. or for anybody else who might be watching this. And so I shall, I shall, um, you know, redouble my efforts to get around to seeing it. But most of the things, even the good things, Sopranos and whatever. The, there is no ending, really. Yeah. You know, they, they don't lend themselves to an ending at all. And I tell you what, the other thing I found is the crime dra- crime drama. If you get the when you start watching it and, and you get hooked on it, and, and after a while you think, how many episodes is this? And so you then look, and you think, all right, there's ten. Okay, at what point are they going to reveal who did it? It's going to be an episode nine, isn't yeah. it? You know what I mean? And then number 10 is going to be tying up the loose ends, you know. So it's a slightly unsatisfactory viewing experience, I find, that kind of thing. But listen, if people have got recommendations of other things that finish as strongly as they start, we'd love to hear about them. Anyway, it's early days, but uh, you can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash here's the important thing slash your ear or just use the code your ear to get a huge discount off your nordvpn plan and also one additional month for free and a bonus gift Uh, and it's no risk because there's a 30-day money back guarantee and further details are in the show notes underneath this. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, Mark, let's start with a quiz that I've pinched out of BuzzFeed, which I thought you'd like. Uh, what you have to do, I'm going to read you some My of My lamentable performances at quizzes are going to be shown up in sharp relief once again. Go, give me a go. This is so defensive. Um, okay. <laughs> the idea of the quiz is, are these lyrics Bruce Springsteen or are they Taylor Swift? Okay. Oh, that's good. Bruce Springsteen or Taylor Swift. It's the return of Stackwardy. Here we go. That's the first one. There's a crazy mirror showing us both in 5D. I'm laughing at you. You're laughing at me. Is well, that... that- is that Taylor Swift? It's or is obviously that... got to be Taylor Swift because Springsteen would never use the expression 5D. Well, you'd be, you'd be wrong because okay. it's from the, from the Bruce Springsteen song, Tuttle of Love. Okay. Second one. You were in college, working part-time, waiting tables, left a small town, never looked back. Is that Bruce Springsteen or is it Taylor Swift? Well, that could be either, couldn't it? That's very, that's very, that's very plausible each way. I'm saying Springsteen. You'd be wrong because it's Taylor Swift. Okay. It's like a penalty shooter. Two misses. <laughs> yes. I'll just throw you one more. I hold you on my arms as the band plays. What are those words whispered, baby, just as you turn away? Is that Taylor Swift or is it Bruce Springsteen? Springsteen. Uh, yes, it is. 
it's Bruce Springsteen. It's from uh, Brilliant Disguise. Okay, well, the rest That's of it's good. There. That's the, the, good. That's good. Like the, re- the rest of it's there. So anyway, I have in my hand, and I'm tempted to recharge it, my old iPod, because the iPod, I, I hear, is being finally knocked on the head. Is that it right? It is no longer being manufactured. The end of an era. I tried to find mine. I've got two, and I couldn't find much. I've got all my mobile phones. God knows why I kept them. They're extraordinary. But um, no, I, so you found it, and does it still work? I found it, and I'm, I'm currently attempting to charge it. I was amazed it responded at all. This is a 40-gigabyte one, so I think it's probably quite a late one. Uh, and I've I'm still got it connected because I don't disconnect it because I think it'll lose its charge. But you know, if I go into the in the music, there it's got playlists, and because it's intriguing, you know what the playlists I I had there that I made. Oh, Louis Armstrong playlist. I got a Decembrist, uh, you know, uh, playlist. The the hazards of love is that Decembrist album. Yeah, it is. I've got a thing called Frontin, which is a big kind of hip hop thing i don't even know when when was the day when that when this all happened and so the amazing thing about the ipod is it was so revolutionary and so short-lived wasn't it it was the, the, the real the key thing was not only could you have all those songs on a little tiny object in your in your pocket but the shuffle uh the shuffle uh mode didn't you think that was amazing in fact there was the thing called the ipod shuffle so I got a, it was like a little like about the size of a stick. Of yeah, tune. I've, I've still got one of those. Yeah, and I think it, you could get two hundred and twenty songs on it, and it was very thrilling. You'd set out walking to the tube, thinking, "I don't know what song I'm going to get out of these two hundred and twenty, but I do know that I have a proof. I will like it. I will like it. Shows it. You know what I mean? I just don't know what order it's coming in. That was really exciting. But yeah, it was all. It was very short lived, wasn't it? Incidentally, you bought me my. You were going to America on some trip for word, I think, and. Um, and you bought a, an iPod for me because it was so much cheaper uh, in America. And when you handed it over to me and I handed you the Dosh, it arrived with 1,500 tracks that you put on it. I think it was 1,500. Well, they might have And it was fantastic. And this is how I really discovered the, my enthusiasm for Bob Skaggs and Freddie King as well. I got various other people that I just got really got into. It was brilliant. Entirely because of you. Good work. Do you remember before the iPod, the kind of early MP3 players. Did you ever, yeah. did one of those ever find its way into your hands? I had one and I thought it was an absolute miracle because you could load as many as 20 songs onto it. I know. Had, 20 it, songs. It was, the, it's, it's, the volume is the kind of, the volume of, uh, of stuff is the kind of key issue in all this, isn't that? Do you remember there used to be a thing, oh, it probably still is um, a principle that used to refer to as Moore's Law. Do you, do you know Moore's Law? No, I don't remember that. And they, they used to say, they used to dealing with, uh, forgive me, I'm getting completely beyond my competence here, but I'm sure there's many people listening and know far more about this than I will do. But roughly what it meant is that the amount of, of memory available increases or it doubles uh, at a certain rate really quickly at yeah. the same time as the price of it goes down. And so you that's what's happened in the last 20 years. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's Moore's laws of what's happened in the last 20 years. So, you know, what was a miracle, you know, 20 years ago, which was 20 songs on one player. Yeah. 
you know, is not a miracle any longer because it's 20 million probably. Yeah. Or 20,000 certainly, you know. And as we have more and more access to more and more, our relationship with it has to change, surely, you know, because it's not rare anymore, is it? And so people became, the thing about the iPod is it surely massively reduced people's patience with music Completely. it had to because because you 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 listen to music the way you increasingly watch everything and read everything which is what your thumb hovering over the button. Completely. And the moment you think you're bored, the you second that through it, or, or you can just go on to the next one. I find that as terrible whenever you find something on YouTube and you think, I just want to get to the part of the song that I like the most, which is an appallingly disrespectful thing to do. Well, exactly. That's, that's increasingly how records are made. They're yeah. made in that in, in exactly the same Knowing way. Knowing they have to engage your attention absolutely. Completely. Ram stuff in there. But it's just extraordinary, you know. They were such a revolution, weren't they? And and yet now, now we're digging them out. Of, we're digging them out of dusty old drawers and trying to get them working. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. Do you think there'll be a market in? I mean, I don't know because there's no. We were talking about this the other day. There's no moving parts. It's not like a. a there's something about a cassette where you can kind of see it whirring round and it seems to be a piece of machinery. Whereas that, can I don't know, do, do you think I don't, I don't money think so. Ten years time, well, probably. I'm, I probably might be, I suppose, but there's no great, there's no great delight no. in looking at the thing or, or listening to the way the wheel clicks yeah. as you go around and choose your favourites. Um, I, I can't really see it, you know, but because um, that, that's the other thing. I was talking to somebody about this the other day that... Um, it's like the difference between uh, traditional, traditional media and digital media um, is that you know when you when you tape something when it, when an album was was recorded on tape, they could look at it and there it is on the tape and they could put it on the player and they could they could hear it. As soon as it's recorded on loads and loads of different forms of hard drives, you're at the mercy of a, of the retrieval systems that are used for you to find your way around it. And these things change, you know what I mean? And so going and trying to get an old version of Windows working or something, it's probably a lot harder than going into a drawer, (laughs) digging out the paper, you know, that that was once the records that were subsequently digitized. So it's not going to be... It's not going to be straightforward in the future, you know. Um, you know whether these things will uh, will continue to have uh, any use in our lives. But so I remember this, when it was invented. I remember the Word magazine running a series of pieces about this has totally changed our relationship with music, which it, it had actually. It was, it was we ran it, it, it was on the cover of Word. Wasn't it, it was. It was because it was the biggest story. The picture of BB King, I think, with a with a, with, with, with well, a, no, that I was thought. a later one. No, no, we had a cover. There was a cover of Word. There was just it was a blue cover with a load of iPods. That's right. It was. It? And that was earlier. And there was the great scandal where you felt that it destroyed the idea of context, that you, you didn't anymore look at the idea that, that music was created in a certain year, a certain time, by a certain you Everything was out of sequence. You didn't realise in what order of things came, what influenced what, you know. I'll tell you, I tell you, what, you know, parallel to that, and I was thinking about this this week, I read another piece about 
it's the end of magazines. You know, I can't remember. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what triggered this particular piece, and I wouldn't wildly disagree with with that point. Although there are still little odd little pockets where, yeah, you know, titles continue to do very well. Private Eye and Spectator and whatever, but boy, there are a tiny, they're a tiny minority. Well, Anna Winter's memoir was what reminded me of that because there she is writing about the glory days of being in the office, but kind of in the office as regards magazines is not necessarily the thing anymore, is it? And that was the heart and soul of it. Oh God, yeah, it was yeah. just people being in an office and just just riffing off each other and just kind of coming up with a whole new language and writing headlines together. It was also the noise. Yeah. You know, because don't you and I are old enough to remember in ma- working in magazine offices where they used to have things called typewriters. <laughs> and typewriters made a, made a row all the time. Sound. And you could tell whether somebody was working or not because you could hear them working. Yeah, yeah. If they weren't <laughs> typing, they were looking out the window. They weren't Smoking. sending an email to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and the other thing is that every transaction had to be conducted on the telephone. Yeah. And so if it was conducted on the telephone, everybody in the office would hear it. Could hear. I'd hear one side of it. So phone calls became a, a huge performance, didn't they? Yeah, you were playing to a gallery. And uh, I can remember slightly before this, uh, my first experience of any kind of music business environment was somebody sent to me, oh, you can go and spend the day in the Island Records sales office. This would be about 1974 or something like this. And um, so I went down to Island Records when they were in St. Peter's Square in Hammersmith, uh, and they were all crowded in there, and there was a little recording studio out the back that Steve Lillywhite ran, and, you know, there were... There would be Bob Marley in reception, you know, all that, all that kind of thing. And, and the sales officer was down in the basement, and it was a round table. And I think there were five or six people around this table who just spent the entire live long day on the telephone. On the telephone. Yeah. Just, just talking, selling, bollocks. selling, yeah. selling, you know, and, and bantering and, you know. And the the energy of these people was just absolutely remarkable, yeah. and um, and I just thought this is so exciting. And of course, you go if you went to the same office nowadays. Well, for a start, it wouldn't be Ireland; it would be Universal, and it's completely silent. Just people emailing, tappity tappity tappity. Yeah, and, and actually, it wouldn't even be people; it'd just be machines. It would just be machines communicating with other machines because nobody. Well, there isn't there isn't a kind of W. H. Smiths and you know Welling Garden City's ring anymore, but you know even if there were, you know the stock would be replenished magically by barcodes and you know orders orders placed automatically, you know all that kind of thing. There's no human interaction. No. But I remember it as being a kind of communal, a communal fight. You know, I remember it smash hits. You know, I'd be on the phone trying to get the 
Duran Duran cover story. And our ad man, the great Rod Sop, would be on, on the phone at the, at the other side of the desk, sort of going, uh, your lucky day, a little bit of a space has opened up. It's your lucky day. It's your lucky day, a little bit of a space has opened up. You might be able to fill it at a discount at a mate's race. You know? <laughs> yeah. So brilliant. But, but the other thing about magazines that struck me uh, recently, I've, I've been working on a book, you know, which is, you know, it's over a period of you know, 50, 60, 70 years. And and when you're dealing in stuff that happened in the 50s and 60s and 70s or whatever, you're looking at published sources. And therefore, you're reading context at the same time as you're reading content. Yeah. As soon as you're looking at anything in the 21st century, compl- that's gone. Utterly yeah. gone. When did something happen? Did 2010 feel any different from 2008? Well, it's very difficult to tell whether it did or it didn't. But if you look at a magazine, there's all the ads, there's all the you know the news stories, the same with the, same the with the news faces. Yeah, the, absolutely. Whereas everything just photography just floats free of its moorings. It you know, yeah. once it's in digital space, you know, and. Um, I do think it's going to be it's going to be very hard in the future. Well, yeah, feel sto- feel sorry for the historians of the future attempting to uh, you know to describe what happened in the, in the 21st century because yeah, all the information yeah. will be there, but none of the shape of it. You know, it'd be very difficult to 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 get an idea of the shape of it. So, um, no, you just open up any copy of a magazine, and it will completely reboot that moment in time perfectly. Talking to magazines, did you see the story about uh, Vogue? About Vogue? <laughs> this is a great story. This is a great story. This is a story. Now, if I remember right, this is a guy, there's a pub in Cornwall called yes. the Star Inn at Vogue. Yes. Because right? Vogue it's a, is a little village. Because uh, Vogue is a, a, one of many things I didn't know when re- until reading the story. Vogue is an old Cornish word. That's what yeah, he claims. It's not an English word, it's a it's Cornish word. But yes. it, it's, that's the name of the pub. It's been there for 200 years. It's called the Star Inn at Vogue. And somebody working for the publishers of Vogue, Condé Nast, discovered this and very hastily assumed that they had appropriated the brand. Am I right? Is this well, I don't think a human being will ever have had any part in this at all. I think this will just be that that Condé Nast will have a you know a machine a, a machine set word up. They, they, the, the word if the word Vogue appears at company's house, which is how this happened, it triggers a, and you just said they send its machine sends off a cease and desist letter. How dare you appropriate our trademark? Yeah, you know? and uh, but this guy's letter. Oh, it's uh, absolutely brilliant. Back to them. Um, he says, well, said, I noted your letter. He says, I've got here. He says, You've only been in existence uh, since 1916. He's talking, he's talking to yeah. them. He's talking yeah. to Vogue magazine. Uh, and I presume that at that time when you chose the name Vogue in the capitalized version, you didn't seek permission for the villagers of the real Vogue. <laughs> I, I, he's turning the tables around and saying, You should have asked us for permission. I also presume that Madonna did not seek your permission to use the word Vogue, again, the capitalized version. For her 1990s song with the same name, it's just a brilliant idea. That he's saying, "You owe me money." Yeah, bloody right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, they right. must. They, they must feel ridiculous. But they, they did send. They was didn't he actually get a physical letter? Did he not get a physical letter? Oh, he probably did get a physical letter. But they all must have signed that. But God, okay, they, maybe, maybe they look ridiculous. They, they do. do. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Such a good story. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Well, I don't know about you, but there's that combination of, of kind of excitement and terror that I find, I'm saying with my oldest son too, uh, uh, about the news that Spinal Tap are going to make a sequel after 40 years. I mean, I felt that about Ghostbusters and about Anchorman, both films I like very much. Actually, Anchorman particularly thought it was fantastic. You think Anchorman 2, how exciting and how terrible it was, how absolutely wrong. So will this, I mean, who knows? I mean, there they are. It came out in 1984. In 2024, they're going to release the. Yeah, they're going to release Spinal Tap too, um, you know. And how old are they now? They're, uh, I, I think, uh, oh, they're in the seventies, surely. Uh, well, Harry Shearer is seventy-nine, I think. I think uh, Christopher Guest and uh, Michael McKean are seventy-four. There you go. And the concept is, if I remember rightly, it's quite a good concept actually, and uses the idea that Christopher Guest used in all his films, like Guffman and Best in Show and Mighty Wind, which is that the drama builds towards a performance. So that the idea is that's the structure of it. The idea is that uh, that uh, uh, Ian Faith, the manager who's died in the film. Who actually died in real life. And the, and the, the actor. Tony Hendrick, yeah. yeah. His wife has a contract which says that Spinal Tap were contracted to play one more show and, and <laughs> she will sue them if they don't. So the three members have to have to reunite and, and perform the show. And, I mean, I think there's rich comedy potential, actually, for what they've been doing in the last 40 years and also for writing material 
that um, that's kind of middle-aged lyrics because they were sort of middle-aged anyway. Spinal Tap, weren't they? You felt you see, they were just too old. Do you remember the bit where one of them's back goes when he's I, on stage? I do think this is the kind of interesting thing: is that the 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 great joke of Spinal Tap is when talking in the original film. Once you've seen it, the idea of it just lodges in your mind. Yeah, and it never goes away. And it just becomes a, a wonderful metaphor for all kinds of things, doesn't it? Yeah. And so you see these pictures of these men who have clearly middle-aged faces. You know, they look as if they ought to be over the garden wall discussing lawnmowers or, you know, or traffic calming issues or whatever. But instead, they've got these ridiculous wigs. And they're wearing leopard skin. Yeah, they're wearing and spandex. spandex and spandex. all that kind of stuff. And it's the contrast between the kind of the middle-aged faces. and old faces, yeah. Absolutely. How you, I, does that get funnier when they're in their 70s? I don't know, you know. It'll be the idea of dealing with the passage of time. That will be the biggest challenge yeah, yeah, in yeah, making yeah. the film work, you know. And... Uh, you know, and I think also you mustn't forget is the reason they part of the reason they're doing this is that that uh, they get huge credit for it. You know, for Spinal Tap, every time any of them goes on any TV show or radio show or whatever, somebody eventually wants to talk about Spinal Tap. Yeah, and I don't think any of them ever made any money out of it. Because of the way it was done, you know, it was it was so completely a low budget. They didn't even have a script. I'm thinking right. And no, saying. they didn't. No, no. They said, I well, them let, about it. just give us some money. We'll just go off and make this film. I interviewed them, but they they had a little structure, which is they knew what the in was for each take. They knew what the 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 the, the part of the plot they had to allude to was, and they knew what the out was, and the rest in between they could just improvise. It was absolutely astonishing. Do you and, think and, they made no money? Yeah, I, I, I doubt they didn't make anything. Oh, no, no, Maybe that's something. why they really they formed the band and toured because the band, well, the, the band, band played festivals, band played. I know, but probably, they probably did have done that for kicks. I would have thought. Yeah. I can't believe any of them walked away from it with uh, a significant amount of money. Whereas, if you're going to come along, however many years later, forty years later, with a new one, you'll you'll get a 2022 deal, won't you? Yeah, right. For streaming or something, you know, it could yeah. be quite a big, big, big deal for somebody. And you've so, got to admit that the audience for it will be massive. Well, it won't be massive. Of, oh, I think it will be pretty. No, big. Mark, it won't. I mean, be no, we're not talking massive. Top gun, but massive. It's but, not you know. Lord of the Rings. No, 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 no. But it'll still be very substantial. Well, it'll be it? there. It'll be there. Yeah, undoubtedly. And uh, best of luck to them, you know, because they're. Oh, they're all still here, aren't they? They're all still well, going. apart from uh, Tony Hendra and um, and uh, you know and Rob Reiner and so forth, and uh, I, I was and they're still terribly funny and terribly talented people. Um, you know, best of luck to them uh, in doing it. Now, talking of things that uh, took place in the past, is it fifty years ago uh, this week? Excellent. Since the release of the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah. I hold in my hand my copy of Exile on Main Street that I bought 50 years ago. There it is. We've got the week. CD here. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. And um, I remember it coming out. And here's the interesting thing about Exile on Main Street. I always felt it got it got really kind of uh, lukewarm reviews because it didn't seem to have really have any songs on it. 
And and it's interesting looking back at the story of the Rolling Stones making it. And they they recorded it mostly in in 1971 in uh, in uh, Nelcott in the basement. And um, and the, the complaint all the way all the way through it was, why the hell don't you write some songs? You know, Ian Stewart said, why don't you write some songs? Stop doing you know. They're kind of riffs, aren't they? Really, they're riffs. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was only knocked into shape when they took it to Los Angeles and then, you know, and and did the yeah. mix and then put the, you know, the, the female singers on it there and, and all on all that kind of stuff. But it God, was, it has some moments though. Rip this joint, isn't that wonderful? I I still think the the, the greatest moment of Exile and Ministry is still the opening of Tumbling Dice. Yeah. Which is that that slurred guitar sound that nobody else can do. Uh and and they couldn't do it any longer after they'd done it once, you know. Um, that's a, a is it the last thing. great Stones record? Well, is it one that the people <laughs> it always intrigues me? Is whenever people want to praise the Rolling Stones record ever since, they've always said it's their best since since Exile of Misery. <laughs> they always say that, and. Uh, you know, with with varying degrees of justification. I'll tell you what I think it is. I don't think it's the best Rolling Stones album, but I think it's the most fashionable Rolling Stones album. It's the most voguish Rolling Stones album. It's for the people who like Rolling Stones Mark II, i.e., i.e., not the itchy little pop group of the 60s. They like the kind of whole mythology well, that's right. and all that sort of stuff. And Exile on Main Street does that brilliant well, brilliantly well. And do you know one of the reasons it does it? And I'm going to get out my copy here and just pull out the inner bags. It's because of these pictures. Your pictures are fantastic, aren't the they? The pictures of them with green light. But I think they, that I think that's the image of the stones that still is. still presides. Because there's three, there's sort of three versions. There's the very early modish kind of modish kind of thin ties, button-down yeah. shirts, yeah. kind of mid-60s stones. There's the kind of psychedelic adventurers, which I think was very unconvincing, particularly Bill and Charlie, who never yeah. never looked right in kind Do of satin raiment. Do yeah. I have to wear this? Do I have to wear this? And then there's the exile on Major. There was that kind of Sluttish, slovenly kind of, uh, but, but wealthy, know. but wealthy. That wealthy. was the key. The key yeah. thing was also about Nelcott, and it's really funny we should yeah. say this about Nelcott because somebody this week sent us a book about yeah, Nelcott. Yeah, yeah, a fantastic yeah. book. A guy, a Norwegian guy called Gear Horns. Yes, amazing. It's book. Just an extraordinary piece of work. I'll try. We'll try and publish, uh, publish a link to it. You'll find out about it because it's the history of the whole house. It obviously includes the Rolling Stones period there, but it's a, it has a rich and extraordinary yeah. history. But the point about Nelcott is it, it, that's fixed in our mind, isn't it? That these kind of urchins were yeah. living in, in wealth and splendor. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a combination of we don't care, we might as well be in a squat, but yeah. oh, look. Oh look, we're in a fabulous house on the French Riviera. Right. You know, and yet we've kind of, you know, we haven't had a haven't had a shower for weeks. Yes. And we've got bare feet. Yes. <laughs> you can almost there's something fragrant about those pictures. There's something that just it's kind of the scent of unwashed bodies. I think <laughs> you know, it's so seventies, isn't it? But that's the that's the image of the stones that still prevails. That's how you see them, really. I mean, I think I think Black and Blue is a good a good record. You know, Black and Blue came out for years. I mean, he's got Hot Stuff and Hand of yeah. Fate and Cherry O Baby and Hey Greeter and you know, uh, 
a fool to cry. I think. I mean, it's a good record, but but and possibly possibly in some ways a better record. But Exile on Main Street is what we have in our heads, isn't it? It's what is what governs our our, our view of what the Stones have, have have become. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. I was just watching an interview uh, with the Black Keys on Joe Rogan, and um, they've got a new record out. And uh, and talking about many years ago, he said, well, when we were destitute, I think when they were first making records, but they hadn't broken through. He said, we were destitute. We probably had, you know, $200 in the bank. That's all we had. Uh, And we got an offer for uh, one of our tracks to be used in a commercial. And our manager at the time said to us, if you do this, if you accept this money, this will be the end for you. You'll never have any credibility. You can wave goodbye to having any kind, any kind of career. And so they said, oh, all right. <laughs> they didn't take it. Yeah. <laughs> well, they have regretted it because they've had a fantastic career, a yeah. very successful group. But, uh, you know, but they say they're looking back on it. It says, does anybody care? You know, and I think it's perfectly fair. It's a really, really good point because people used to be so, I mean, the Stones did a Rice Krispies advert. Oh, that many people found out. That's very early on, yes. So we did a kind of ice cream advert, I think. And people people did do things. And and John Lyon famously did that butter advert, which I think he got away with, actually. But, I mean, you know, everyone was terribly critical about it, weren't they? But now I think they appreciate musicians have to make money. Of course they do. Jingles and they're selling stuff to, I don't know, soundtracks and, you know, there's any possibility they can make some cash in, in, in a world where nobody buys, plays for music anymore. It's totally legitimate. And you can sympathise, can't you? Oh, absolutely. Feist, Feist and the Ting Tings are two really good examples of groups who were doing, I don't think they were doing all right, but, you know, it was the, it was the Apple ads that absolutely made their careers. The fact absolutely. that they used their their their, their songs on, on ads for, I think, for iPods, actually, that that, uh, that made them, really. Yeah, yeah. And so Bob Dylan also, you know, is generally regarded as the person who's above all this kind of thing. He quite happily Two takes words, the Victoria's Secrets. Ch- Victoria's <laughs> Secret. <laughs> I know. Oh, dear. Uh, What's the about Victoria's Secrets is if you're going to do an ad, then to do Victoria's Secrets is probably the most kind of opposite to your brand values. Absolutely. Kind of offensive actually to a lot of people. There's you could possibly imagine. But he just thought, I'll do it, you know. Yes, it's just so funny. He just likes the idea of being associated with scantily clad young women. Yeah. yeah. That's basically yeah. yeah, that's Bob. He just he takes the perverse route in, well, you, uh, in we, every we situation. Me on his last broadcast, the one he did during lockdown, you know, which was shot in a in a little kind of supposedly in a kind of bordello in in LA, wasn't it? And the audience were just fabulous looking girls <laughs> wearing. Do you remember wearing wearing very little and kind of dancing and and uh, and, and actors dressed up as kind of nineteen twenties hoods. No, God bless him. And also, his archives just opened, isn't it? His archive is open. Where is it opened? Tulsa. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. It's a very Bob Dylan place, isn't it? Tulsa. Yeah. Tulsa. That's kind of the middle of nowhere, isn't it? Yeah, really? Yeah, I know yeah. I've never been to Tulsa. 
Um, so, but it, well, what's happened? He's thrown all his possessions towards somebody to organise them well, into an archive. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because he, a he's kept everything, which is you know, which so many people must be so regretful that they haven't. But he somehow just squirrelled away, like Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney's a massive yeah. warehouse, hasn't he? Really? Yeah. You've been round and seen the kind of sort of Sergeant Pepper suit that he's still got, you know. Um, but you know, he, uh, there are six thousand items, and it's interesting, really, because you know, you, I had a look at it this morning, and it, they talks about you know the essays, poems, liner notes, correspondence. There's a fantastic um, handwritten uh, manuscript version, an early version of Chimes of Free- Freedom, written on. Uh, have you seen it on the on, on a kind of Waldorf Astoria hotel? Oh, really? With cigarette burns and stains. I mean, it's just exactly the crossings out and the adjustments to the lyric. Those kind of things are fantastic. But I'm not sure really, you know, kind of essays and 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 philosophical musings, do they work in museums? I don't know what you want to see in a museum. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like the idea that you can listen to unreleased tracks and things. That doesn't seem to be why I would want to go to a museum. I, I, I wouldn't mind doing that at home, yeah. checking on something on my computer. But what you really want to see is objects. And in Dylan's case, I don't know what those objects would be. I mean, whether they're guitars, obviously they're, they're. I think stage clothes are really interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, if I if I thought I could go and see the original Sergeant Pepper suits, I would be quite excited by that. Actually, I don't know why because they're physical things that they're there in a glass. And what's the first thing that would strike you whenever you're looking at the costume of uh, of a famous rock star? What's the Easy, first? That's, that's smaller than you it's imagine. Tiny. It's, it's tiny. like I think Henry the Eighth suit of armor, which is about four foot high <laughs> and four foot <laughs> wide. Actually. <laughs> They were all, they were all tiny, you know, and they were young and they were thin. Yeah, uh, at the time that they wore them, I, I was I, quite, I was reading this piece by um, in the New York Times about the Dylan archive and um, and it's an interview with Sean Willans, who's a guy we've actually had on the podcast many many years ago. An American academic has written extensively about American history and about Bob Dylan. Uh, a really good book called Dylan in America, I think it is. And uh, and he says, they say, D- do you think Dylan will, will be interested in this? He said, no, I don't think it will be. But I don't care that he isn't. It's sort of not to do with him anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that's a really fair point this is, yeah. you know, that, that uh, you know, you don't control people's interest in this sort of stuff, you know. You've kind of got a responsibility to make it available, but but again, you know, going back to our early early discussion, the reason McCartney and Bob Dylan have uh, have got all this stuff is they did most of their stuff in the days of print and paper. Yeah, so there and is something pen to and ink. There's know, something there to have. You know. What are people doing? Keeping records of text messages? I mean, I don't know. But also, in, in both their cases, it wouldn't necessarily have been them. Some astute person like like Neil Aspinall in McCartney's case would have thought, let's just collect everything we possibly can because it's yeah. going to have some kind of value. Yeah. And right they were. Yeah. So we're coming up to Paul McCartney's 80th birthday on June the 18th. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you get your tickets to come along to Word in the Park uh, at Opera Holm Park on that day, Saturday afternoon. And we'll be there with Danny Baker, with Julia Rayside, 
with Andy Miller and with Jeff Lloyd and with more to come. And with one more very significant guest to, to yeah, announce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so make, really make sure you, you get your tickets. A splendid time is guaranteed for all. The sun is going to shine. There will be fruity drinks. There will be old friends. You'll kick yourself if you miss it. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>